Welcome to Harvest Valley Worship Center's Sermon of the Week. You can discover more about our church, pastors, and special guests at hvwc.com. We hope that you are blessed by today's message. I might have something that I need to work out with the Lord, or the Lord's working something out of me, or something, you know, is going on. And uh, so last night I just spent a lot of time, you know, praying, and, and the Lord, you know, kept just talking to my spirit about it's time for the ecclesia to rise. It's time for the ecclesia to rise. It just keeps coming up for me over and over. It is time for the ecclesia to rise. So the drop the nets. Great word. What a great word, Jim. You know, I mean, how, how, it, Jesus taught the disciples how to fight past what they could see. You don't see the catch. Drop the nets again. It's just such a good word. And have you ever truly had to fight for something in your life? I think most people would say, yeah, we've had to fight for some things. You know, we've had to really go to war for some things. I feel like it's time for the church to go to war. Um, and I think that part of, part of our, our issue is how, right? Like, how do we go to war? Like, what do we do? Um, because, you know, when the world goes to war, it's in today's what we would call third-generation warfare, it's all a battle of ideas, right? It's a battle of words and wit and ideas. And, 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 and Jesus' warfare is on a different plane than this world's warfare. It's just different. So we don't war the same way that the world wars, right? We know this is true from 2 Corinthians 10, that the, the, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds. They're not carnal. It's not, it's not normal. So, so can I, I think that many times we've chose in our life, we choose to fight for things that God's not fighting for. And I think it's really important to begin to weigh what is it that we're fighting for? At our core, what are we really fighting? Like, oh, I got something rising up in me and I'm going to go to war. And I start rebuking and then interceding and doing all this stuff. And God's standing here going, that's not even on my radar. Like, I love your passion, son, daughter. I love your passion, but that's not on my radar. What is on God's radar is people. What's on God's radar is souls. And we're worried about the method of our government. He's worried about souls. He's worried about souls. Now, I love the fact that we have some freedom to preach the gospel here. Amen? I don't want that freedom removed. I love the fact that I get a voice in that as a citizen of this country to have a voice to say, don't take away my voice. Great. Is that God's priority in your life today? It's a good question because for some people, absolutely it is. Because they've been given a mantle to step into government. 
They've been given a mantle. They've been given some authority to begin to move things in the governmental realm. Great. Awesome. Is that for everybody? No, it's not. Just like it's not for everybody to be moving things in the church. Not everybody's called to lead that movement. We're all part of the church. Amen? We're all the ecclesia. But God places some individuals, which he calls gifts, to lead it. He calls the people gifts. The people are the gift. Right? Because these are the only gifts that are given by Jesus himself to the church. And Jesus gives people to the church. The Holy Spirit empowers people through spiritual giftings. Okay, we can see the difference. So, each arena in our life, there are people that are called to fight in those arenas. We want to empower people to fight in the arena to which you were called. So, it's going to be a broad swath. It's not going to be the same for everybody. But what is the same for the church, for every single one of us? What's the least common denominator that we can say, this is the heart of God? It is souls. That's a heck of an introduction. I love it. Let's go to Joel chapter 3. We're going to work through our, our book here. I got this sermon and one more sermon, and we'll be done with the book of Joel. Um, here I was hoping to finish up by the end of April, and praise the Lord, I think that's going to happen. Um, unless I choose after today to do a 10-week series on two verses, which I figured I could probably pull off. Because um, <laughs> it's rich. It's super rich, and I feel really bad because I'm going to kind of like skirt, like say, this could be this, and then I'm going to walk around it. I'll tell you what it is, but, you know, it, it, this passage of Scripture is one of the richest in the, pro, in the prophetic books that we're about to read. And we all love Joel chapter 2, where it talks about the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, right? We, we loved, I was so bummed that that recording didn't come out very well. And so we, we but you got the notes, right, in the email, but the reality is that that's one of our favorites from the Old Testament because it applies to the Spirit working in us. And yet, what's really cool is that this passage today talks about how God goes to war for economy, how He goes to war for souls, how He goes to war for those who are broken, how He goes to war for those who are far from Him, how He uses His people to go to war. And, and I, you know, I felt like today was, was like, Jesus in the ring saying, let's get ready to rumble. You know, like he's just like, it's time to go, church. So, uh, Joel chapter 3, we're going to read verses 9 through 17. Um, we're going to do a small review. I'm going to have a, just a handful of points for you today. And I believe that God's going to empower you to go to war. All right, verse 9, I'm reading out of the New King Jimmy. Proclaim this among the nations, prepare for war. Wake up the mighty men. Let all the men of war draw near. Let them come up. Beat your plowshares into swords and your pruning hooks into spears. Let the weak say, I am strong. Assemble and come, all you nations, and gather together all around because your, the Lord's mighty ones, cause your mighty ones to go down there, O Lord. Let the hands be wake, let the nations, wow, let the nations be wakened and come up to the valley of Jehoshaphat. For there 
I will sit to judge all the surrounding nations. Put in the sickle, for the harvest is ripe. Come, go down, for the wine press is full. The vats overflow, for their wickedness is great. Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision. For the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. The sun and moon will grow dark and the stars will diminish their brightness. The Lord also will roar from Zion. Say, will roar. (laughs) And utter His voice from Jerusalem. The heavens and earth will shake, but the Lord will be a shelter for His people and the strength of the children of Israel. So you shall know that I am the Lord your God, dwelling in Zion, my holy mountain, then Jerusalem shall be holy and no aliens shall ever pass through her again. Amen. All right. So we've talked a lot about this process that talks about restoring the land from the book of Joel. Number one is feel the pain. We've got to mourn. We have to look cleanly, plainly, with clarity at the brokenness in front of us. Right? When I think about seeing the brokenness plainly, there are certain people that put themselves in positions to see brokenness plainly. Chaplains is a great, you know, they just, just go to see CASA, right? You know, child advocates, you know, you just see the brokenness plainly. You can mourn over the brokenness that's in our region. You can see it clearly. Um, until we start seeing the pain and the brokenness clearly, instead of looking away, go ahead and look at it, mourn over it, let it burden your heart. Why? Because that will change you. It will give you the heart of the Father for the brokenness around here. If you don't look at it, how are you going to know what He thinks about it? Right? So we have to do that. And then we have to come away and repent and say and intercede on behalf of our region and say, God, please forgive those who are breaking your laws. Please forgive those who are wounding and hurting others. God, please bring reconciliation, restoration. We're asking God that you do some things. We turn away from the wickedness and we come and we follow your path, right? That's repentance, right? And these are all just lessons that we've walked through as we've gone through this series. What happens? We, we, we feel the pain and we repent and God begins to release divine order. He begins to put things in order. The things that are crooked start to become straight. The things that are out of alignment in your life, the things that are out of season in your life begin to come into season. They begin to align properly because, listen, sometimes we don't fully repent. Repentance says, God, I'm coming up to your way. Right? Re, back, pent, top. I'm coming back up to the ways that you have for me. So when we do that, God begins to put things in divine order. Oftentimes, we're expecting the fruit of divine order instead of actually just being with Him in divine order. So then we come back out of order again because we didn't see the fruit of it, because we're impatient. Because what happens? I heard, no. So what, what happens, we, we, we establish divine order, and out of divine order, God then begins to release divine restoration. He can't restore something until it's aligned. So God wants to align it and bring order to it so that it might be restored unto its previous glory. 
It might be restored unto its previous purpose. We're going to take 10 days to fast. Why? For God to restore the, the, the divine order, to give us the divine restoration of our purpose. Why? Well, we've been off. The whole body of Christ has been sideways. Lord, start with me. I'm not worried about all the mothers. How about me? Us. Our family here, this community, God set us straight so that you can begin to bring restoration. And we talked about this famous verse about this restoring the years the locust has eaten. Well, that restoration is make peace with the years the locust has eaten. Some of you are waiting for buckets of money to drop in. Maybe you just need to come to peace with that money gone. Because when you make peace with it, now God can do something with you. Oh, I'm preaching too good. I, no, let me, let me, it might have sounded, sounded a little arrogant. Let me, let me just say that the Lord is on this. The Lord is on this. He wants a different kind of people who are no longer concerned with the things of this world. Stop looking for the restoration of this world. Stop looking for those things that were lost here. Let us go after what God wants most. Hey, that's your heart. He wants to restore you so that you can be free. So what happens next? God begins to restore. We see this happen. You know, Jesus dies on the cross, then divine order is given, and then he walks around and, and he restores Peter, right? He restores Peter, and, and he lets doubting Thomas feel his wounds, and, and Jesus comes and preaches to 500 people at one time. They're all, eyewitness, all eyewitnesses to the resurrection, and what happens? He restores. He restores. He restores. So his death, burial, and resurrection brought divine order, and then we see him actively work on restoring, on restoration, of him, and he says, okay, now wait until you receive power from on high. And then what do we see? The Holy Spirit comes, right? And we see this, the whole same pattern playing out in Joel. It's so cool, right? And then we're empowered by the Holy Spirit. We get filled with the Holy Spirit. We prophesy, have dreams and visions. The barriers between gender broken. Come on. So then now that we've got power, we can't be like James and John, the sons of thunder, saying, call down lightning, kill them all. And that's not what we do. Whoa, hold on. Whoa, whoa. Right? Jesus reminds the sons of thunder, hey, He's the judge. So when we start walking in power, that was the lesson they needed to learn, right? So, so when we walk in power, we recognize he's the judge, not me. I don't, I don't have the ability or capacity to judge other whatever sinful things are going on and all of that. You know, I entrust 
I know what's right and I know what's wrong. I have that kind of judgment. I can discern good and evil, and I can call good good, and I can call evil evil, just like in the restoration of divine order, right, where we call the day day and the night night. And we say, okay, we're going to align time. We're going to get this stuff right in God's order. So the reality is we can tell the difference between good and evil. I'm not saying that you can't call a spade a spade. Oh, that's evil. Okay, we can do that. But he's the judge of them. We don't judge them. He's the judge. So, so it makes it very clear in the first uh, eight verses of Joel chapter 3 that God is the one who judges the nation and our job is to trust all judgment and repayment to the Lord. We trust it to Him. Right? Amen? It's really important when you have power that you not try to become the judge. Welcome to spiritual manipulation. Right, people, people using their spiritual authority or using their, their great wisdom to manipulate you to do what they want to do because they're judging it. When you have power, you have to walk in humility, which requires gratitude. The difference between gratitude, I mean, I'm sorry, the difference between arrogance and confidence is gratitude. I, I think often we've seen a lot of people manipulate because of power and anointing and, and different things because they weren't healed up and they began, you know, um, doing things in their own way for their own means, for their own method or whatever, and building everything unto them. And, hey, guilty, done it. You know, like I, I've seen it. I, I've been there. And you know what? The Lord is super gracious and faithful. And he says, listen, I want to give you more power than what you carry now. So humble yourself and be grateful for every little thing I give you. And the power that you walk in will not end in judgment. So we trust all the judgment to the Lord. But then he says, all right, church, go to war. You're empowered. You trust me to judge it? Now go to war. It's time. It's time. It's time. It's time. I love this passage of Scripture. And this, the first couple of verses here is where I could get lost for at least 10 weeks, I think, I, I came up with. Right? Prepare for war. Wake up, you mighty men. Let all the men of war draw near. Let them come up, which means to ascend and to meet. I love Mika was like, let's come up. Let's ascend. I'm like, oh, that's my first point in my sermon. Um, in the beat your plowshares into swords. That, that's a familiar phrase, right? Because we actually hear that in two other prophetic passages. In Micah chapter 4, verses 1 through 4. And then we also see it in Isaiah chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. But it's different. There it says, beat your swords into plowshares. And here is the only place where it says, turn your plowshares into swords. Isn't that interesting? This is where I could probably sit for a long time, digging out all of the different aspects of what this means. But what I want to share with you today is, number one, we prepare for war by drawing near to God. We prepare for war by drawing near to God. And this is the lesson. Prepare for war. Wake up the mighty men. Let all the men of war draw near. Let them come up. 
very clear here. Let them ascend. Let them arise. Let them come up. Come up to where? Well, it's where God is. Come up. Find Him. You know, coming close to God is, um, is really interesting because this gathering is also known as an ecclesia. Gather the mighty men. Right? There's actually, to gather is, is in, the, in the word gathering is all part of the word ecclesia. It's to gather, different form. Right? But what's really interesting is that a common, this is a common theme in the Old Testament. If you translate from Hebrew or from the Greek, you take the Hebrew in the Old Testament and you translate it into Greek, whenever the group of, of Israelites would gather for instructions all throughout um, uh, Joshua, Numbers, they gather, and the word, the phrase is that they would, when they, the gathering was called an ecclesia to get instructions for battle. Come up, mighty men. One of the reasons why we come together on once a week and we gather together is not just religious tradition. Sometimes it's for battle plans. How are we going to go to war together? How many of you know the devil loves a lone wolf? Loves it, loves, loves when we're, we're not doing anything together, right? And we're isolated and alone. He loves it. Great. Yeah, you feel disempowered. Great. Go hide. Great. Go hide because you are of no threat to me, right? All right. So who are these warriors, right? He says, wake up the mighty men. Let them, let all the men of war. All the men of war. Then what's he say? Verse 10. Beat your plowshares into swords. Listen. The men of war are farmers. The men of war sow seed. The men of war plil, uh, plow the soil. They plill the sill. They plow the soil. Uh, this thing's going to work today, I promise. Plow the soil. You know, the men of war are farmers. They know how to work. In uh, verse 10, it says, Beat your plowshares into swords and your pruning hooks into spears. Let the weak say, I am strong. Why would the weak need to say, I am strong? Well, because maybe farmers don't feel like mighty men of war. My grandfather was a restaurant guy. He managed restaurants. And he ended up going to war. World War II. Regular guy. How many of you have a father, grandfather that was in World War II? Whoa, look at that. Look at that. Listen, regular men that went to war. Regular men that went to war. Right? 
My grandfather was never the same. Severe alcoholic when he came home. Rough man. Hurt man. He saw some things. Never talked about it once. It was hard. Funny story, though. He did have an old case, ammunition case, you know, the big green ammunition cases that you could click open, you know. And he had some, um, some grenades that were not live anymore, right, like had no, no munition in it. But it still had the firing pin and everything in it, but nothing in it. And so he, he as a joke, as a joke, he gave the live grenade, what my dad thought was a live grenade when my dad was a teenager, and was like, here, hold this for me. He pulled the pin out. I said, here, hold this for me. And, and he's like, oh, and then, ping. he's like, no, run. And my dad bailed right through the screen door, took the whole thing down, <laughs> ran right out the house. So let me say, the Bassets have a sense of humor. <laughs> my dad thought the whole house was going up. Oh, man, pretty cruel. Pretty cool. Regular men, right? Even ones with a, with a sense of humor. These are the men of war. Now, the first point, of course, is that in order for us to go to war, we have to draw near to God. And it doesn't matter where you're at or where you're from, what your background is. Come up. Come up. We ascend. We come higher. We come after God. We come up. Come up, men of war. Come up. It is time for us to war from the heavenlies. Come up. Quit using regular tools of war. God has a different set of tools for war. In fact, he says, take your, take your plowshares and turn them into swords. Listen. Point number two here is that war is no longer about business as usual. War is no longer about business as usual. Why? Take your plowshare and turn it into a sword. Take your pruning hook, right? It says take your pruning hooks and turn them into spears. The warfare that we need to wage is in the marketplace. Take the thing that you normally use and turn it into war. What's in your hands, right? The classic Moses story, like God shows up and says, I got something for you to do. Well, I can't do it. I can't do it. I don't have the right mouth. I don't have any skill. Okay. Well, see that rod in your hand? Throw it on the ground. Throws it on the ground. What's it turn into? A snake, right? Okay, now pick it up by the tail. Picks it up by the tail. Whoop. Back to the rod. Listen, the ministry that you have is already in your hands. You don't need to go find a new place to go to war. What are you using right now to get work done? What are you doing right now to, to live life? You know, a great way, three Bs. Really easy to remember. Bed, buck, and burden. Where do you live? That's a place you can go to war. Come on, some of us need to go to war in our homes. <laughs> For our families, go to war. 
Take the things, take the things that are already in your hand and go to war. Go to war. What about, you know, what's the buck? Where do you spend money? Do you go to war with your checkbook at the, at the supermarket? Why not? Why not? Why not see people get healed and restored in the checkout aisle? Why not? What are you passionate about? What do you have a burden? If you've got a burden for something, then go after it. It's in your heart. It's in your hand. Go. Right? Turn your plowshare into swords. Turn the regular thing that you use every day and turn it into a weapon of holy warfare. Number three, the world comes up and the people of God go down. This is really cool. Verses 12 and 13 says, Let the nations be wakened and come up to the valley of Jehoshaphat. This is uh, uh, the valley of decision, right? Isn't it interesting? He says, Let the nations come up to the valley. Okay, wait. There's one place in Scripture that's known as a valley in the midst of the hills, and it's um, um, Hebron. It's where David's mighty men would hide, and it's the place that he said, that's where I want to have my house, right? It's also the place that Caleb went after the giants, um, after they finished conquering Israel. It's the same place. During the Ottoman Empire, guess what they called it? Hidden Valley. Okay, let the nations be awakened and come up to the valley of decision. For there I will sit to judge all the surrounding nations. Put in the sickle, for the harvest is ripe. Here we go. Come on, farmers. Put in the sickle, the harvest is ripe. But you know what I love about this? To God, the harvest was that their wickedness was overflowing. Wow, they're wicked. Because the wickedness overflowed, God says there's a harvest. The wicked overflowed. Now there's a harvest. Oh, man, the wickedness is increasing. There's the harvest. Gosh, you know, we go, oh, it's evil, get away. And we go, run away, run away, run away. Sorry, that's from a Monty Python movie. (laughs) Come on, those rabbits will get you. Okay, so, (laughs) so listen. Come on, I love you guys. That's great. That you, number one, you got that. Number two, you're laughing still. I'm like, praise Jesus. This is great. Okay, so we are avoiding the harvest because we don't want to get our hands dirty. Nope. I'll read it. Um, he says, put in the sickle for the harvest is right. Come, go down. Come, go down. Listen, the nations are going to come up to the valley of decision. And now what he does is he sends his people, and, I, and it's really clear because he says here um, at the end <clears throat> that the Lord's going to roar. He's going to utter his voice from Jerusalem. The Lord's going to shelter his people. You don't have to be sheltered if you're with him on the mountain. Come, go down. The harvest is ripe. Go down. Draw near, come up, draw near, we come up. And then he's like, okay, now that you're up here, I'm going to bring the nations for judgment. And as the nations come up, now he says, okay, now while they're being judged, go down because the harvest is ripe. How many of you know God's 
God is doing something in the earth concerning the nations. And I believe that as the world is trying to figure this stuff out, as we're trying to figure out, okay, what's this and what's that? There's confusion all around it. Listen, God knows what He's doing. There's no confusion to God about what's happening in international affairs and foreign policy and all that kind of stuff. He knows what He's doing. And I'm going to tell you, there is something that's about to come across the nations. There is something that's about to happen where the glory of the Lord will be revealed in the earth in such a magnificent way that the nations will know that they are judged because they've seen the glory of the Lord. And the glory of the Lord will cover the earth. That's his judgment. He's coming to judge. What? 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 How do you know that the nations are judged? They've seen the. They've seen righteousness. They've seen the glory. How many of you know that when you see perfection, you kind of know you're not it. <laughs> the world comes up to the Lord. They're drawn. And this, we see this again, guys, Isaiah 2. Let me just read this. It shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the Lord's house, say, that's me, shall be established on top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills and all nations shall flow to it. What is the revelation of God in the earth? It is the church. We know this. Ephesians chapter 3 says that the church has been set aside, has been set apart, to reveal in the heavenly realms the multifaceted wisdom of God. The nations will know who Jesus is by what we do. All nations will flow to it. Many people shall come and say, Come and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us His ways and we shall walk in His paths. Nations are coming to the Lord. Why? They want what He's giving. The harvest is ripe. Why? Sin is overflowing. Sin is overflowing. That means that the harvest is ripe. We go down into the darkness because we are the light. All right, verse 14. Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision for the day of the Lord is near. In the valley of decision, the sun and moon will go dark and the stars will diminish their brightness. The Lord also will roar from Zion and utter His voice from Jerusalem. The heavens and the earth will shake, but the Lord will be a shelter for His people and strength for, of the children of Israel. Listen. The valley of decision comes with harvest. Victory for God is the salvation of the nations. The greater the sin is greater the equals greater the harvest. How many of you know that one of the core things that the ecclesia is called to is restoration? Like we're called to restore. We're called to take those things that are broken and restore it back into its original purpose. We're supposed to be taking those hearts that are broken and bringing them before the Father, the one who heals broken hearts. He's the one who does the work. All our job is is to go and get them and bring them before the Father. The ecclesia, God's mighty 
church, those called out ones, these people, this gathering of believers. We recognize that as the day of the Lord approaches, we are to have the lens of redemption, not the lens of judgment. So what do I mean by that? Well, did God tell, I mean, there's one passage that talks about the ability of the church to judge something. And what is the one thing that the church has the freedom to judge? Each other. Like, we actually get to judge each other. We get to, like, settle disputes between one another. We do not get the, we don't go to the world system. When there's offenses and hurts, we can settle a thing in the house, right? Paul was really clear about that. Like, you guys are going to the courts to settle your issue? What are you doing? Be judges among yourselves about these things. Okay? Like, no. You got beef? Deal with it. Have the hard conversations. You got the Spirit of God in you. So do they. Guess what? Maybe if you both humble yourself, we just humble ourselves. We're going to come out all right. We're going to come out okay. We might not even agree, but we love each other. We're not going to hold stuff against each other. Right? Right? Okay. Ooh, he's going to do a restoration work in this region, in this one area. How the church is going to find healing with each other. We are called to have a lens of redemption. Lens of redemption. Lens of redemption. We, who do we trust judgment to? God. We don't, we don't need to do it. We just restore and redeem. We have a lens of redemption around everything that we do. Because listen, even the entire world's going to shake. The sun and the moon's going to grow dark. Stars will diminish their brightness. Why? Because people are coming to the valley of decision. You know, I thought about this was, I remember for myself, I came to a low point where I had to make a decision. I was broken. And I had to decide if I was going to give my life to Jesus or not. Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision. In that place of brokenness where they need to make the choice to follow Christ. And how will they know if they do not hear? All right. So you shall know that I am the Lord your God, verse 17, dwelling in Zion in my holy mountain. Then Jerusalem shall be holy, and no alien shall ever pass through her again. Um, God resides in Zion, his holy mountain. It is what we would call maybe even the temple mount, right? Like this place where the temple resided in Jerusalem. In Jerusalem, the city would be holy. But let me tell you what. In prophetic, in prophetic terms, read Zion as a picture of the church and the temple as a picture of the believer. Okay? 
So when we consider that the city, which we know in from Revelation, the great city that comes down is the church, right? The great city that comes down, the beautiful streets of gold city, the new Jerusalem, that's the church. That's literally what the scripture says, it's the church. Okay, I'm not like taking a liberty there, it actually says that. And so we've got this picture that God is dwelling within the ecclesia. I am the Lord your God. You shall know that I am the Lord your God, dwelling in Zion, my holy mountain, dwelling in you, the ecclesia. Then Jerusalem shall be holy. You know what I love about verse 16? The Lord will roar from Zion. Roar. The Lord will roar from Zion. All right, come on, give me a good roar. <laughs> yes. Can I just can I just say that when we when we carry the voice of the Father, when we carry his presence, we will be roaring from Zion and listen heaven and earth will shake. It is extremely important that we get this. It is time to go to war. You are mobile arcs of the covenant. You carry the presence of God just like the mercy seat. You carry the presence of God. Go to war. You know what I love about war in the kingdom is that it's found we war best in his presence, from his presence, through his presence. In, from, and through. You know what's really nice? He's the judge. So if I'm just in his presence, how much striving am I doing? Nope, I'm not. I just get to rest and just listen and do what he asks. There's no pressure on me. Guys, the pressure's off when you're in his presence. You no longer have to fight according to even like I mean, if I see another spiritual warfare thing come out that causes people to feel like if they don't do X, Y, and Z, they're not warfaring properly, how about you just go to the Father? Yeah, good. Put on your shield. Put on the whole armor of God. Do that. Yes. That's biblical. Go. Do it. Do it. You know what I love about the helmet of salvation? It's just utter confidence in God. I know that I know that I know. I know that I know that I know that I know. Going to war is trusting God will call people to Him and we meet them where they are at. He is bringing everyone to the valley of decision. We must be otherworldly. We can no longer do things according to this world. And the Lord's calling you to come up, ascend, arise, come up to me. Because when the nations come, then I'm going to send you right into the darkness because the harvest is ripe. Come on, let's stand. Mika, I feel like you got the prayer on this one.
and we'll pray together, but I just feel like you got something on this. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. God, I, I just praise you for who you are and what you're doing for this message, for the, the signs all around pointing to you, pointing to this, drawing us up. I, I praise you for that, Father. So we just come up, we ascend. Yes. God, thank you for drawing us near to you. And God, for each person here who is in a valley of decision, God, I pray you would be close, and I pray that they would draw themselves close yes. to you. Yes, hallelujah. And, and for the people in our midst, Lord, who are in that valley of decision, God, help us minister mm. to them right where they're at. <laughs> help us offer this incredible feast that they can choose. Yes. God, help us make it plain. Help us make it um, so clear to them who you are and what you offer. Yes, Lord. And, and Lord, I pray that you would be softening the hearts of people who are in that, that place of making a decision, Lord. Mm. We just call each one into the kingdom. We call each one into your fullness. And God, in every place in, in us where we're trying to make a decision, are we going to fully follow you? God, I, I just pray that you would do a work mm -hmm. that only you can do in mm -hmm. our hearts to heal mm -hmm. all the little broken pieces that prevent us from saying, yes, 100%. Right. So, God, will you, will you be the lamp to our feet yes. with each little decision? Will yes. you show us what we have in our hand? Will you prompt us? Mm -hmm. Will you, like, give us a big nudge? Father, make it so clear and, and empower us, Father. You're, you're coming from on high, and, and you are <laughs> bringing power. Yes, yes. So, God, we just invite you to come through us. We just dedicate ourselves to you. We dedicate our, our ministry to you, the ministry that's in our hands. Yes, yes. God, God, we ask that you would change what's in our hand yes. from something regular to an implement of war yes. that would usher in your glory. Mm. Come on. Yes, Lord. God, we, we believe in you. We believe in your word. And we stand in alignment with your word today that has called us up. Church, it's time to go to war. It is time to go into the darkness. It is time to come up and rest and then be sent. Come on, be filled with power. Father, I ask in Jesus' name that you would fall on your people with power. That we would no longer consider the simple things that we use in our hands to be not sacred. That we would no longer consider our nine to five not sacred. That we would no longer consider how we respond in stressful situations. It's not sacred. It's all you, Lord. Father, give us the light within by your presence that transforms the world around us in every situation. 
we declare that today your people will go forth and go out in Jesus' name with power in your presence. Be filled with the Holy Spirit right now in Jesus' name. Father, I just pray that you would go before, you'd go behind, you'd go on on the side of each person that's making their way into the darkness. I just pray your protection over each one. I just pray your divine order would just be ushered in as they step in, that no harm would ever come, that that your glory would be like a buffer around them, that it would be a buffer to their thoughts, to their speech, to to everything, that, that it's that that we go in and we influence. We are the leaven into the world, into the darkness. Thank you, Lord. We bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Come on, give God praise, will you? That's so good. Thank you for joining us today. Harvest Valley Worship Center is called to be a refuge for healing and a launch pad for transformation. If this message impacted you today, please let us know in a comment, or you can email us at media at hvwc.com. Thank you for joining us, and we look forward to connecting with you.